wild courage exists to galvanize a generation of men. Tools and courage to fight for what matters most. And tell the stories that are born in the redemption of lives and souls. Hey guys, welcome back to the Wild Courage Podcast. Today we have my brother, Rob Wiley, back on. And uh, welcome back, buddy. It's good to see you, even though we're on Zoom today. So we're up front asking for grace as we try to figure this out. We've spent the last 30 minutes trying to get to this point, but here we are. Awesome. Well, just happy to be back here with you, man. Uh, let's, let's do it. Let's have some fun. Yeah, we're we're hoping that we're going to try to figure out how to do this together in person, but um, you're right at the beginning um, of your craziest part of your year, so I'm just glad that we're getting the time to, to do this at all. So anyway, since we just looked back, it's been about six, seven weeks since um, our first conversation, and uh, yeah, what have you been up to since then? Um, well, we, we got into our, uh, shooting class portion of our year. So, um, in the outfitting business, we, you know, we, we have a kind of a, um, a limited amount of time that we can make hay while the sun's shining. And so in the summertime we do shooting classes. Um, we basically bring guys up and, or gals too, uh, kids even, uh, but, uh, a lot of times they're hunting with us in the future, or maybe they want to come do a hunt or, um, we did something a little bit different this year. We actually did a, a men's event kind of, uh, you know, in combination with the shooting class. Um, so yeah, we, we basically did three of those, uh, since we last talked. Dang. That's um, so, a lot of, that's a lot of work. Cause you guys set up camp full, your full hunting camp, right? Well, yeah, I know we, I've been, I've been to the class, so I, I think it's the same. Yeah totally exactly the same so yeah we set up camp and then um you know we we basically have targets set up fairly close to camp where we can go over and you know do shooting positions that are you know going to get us ready for the hunt and and yeah it's it's a great time for people to try out their gear and learn new skills and hang out there's a lot of you know, a lot of time together where people, you know, uh, get to hang out and talk and talk gear and talk strategy and where have you hunted and what do you do? And, uh, it's just, it's super, super cool. How did, how did you get into that? So outfitting is interesting in that, like you alluded to with earlier with making, Hey, why the sun's shining? Like you've got to be pretty creative to make a living year round as an outfitter, because really what, how long is your season? Like when you're actually hunting is. Yeah. So weeks. our, our main hunting season is two months, September one through uh, October 31st. That's kind of the, that's the meat of, of the time that we operate. Um, and some of that um, we don't fully utilize and other times we wish we could, you know, clone ourselves and, and yeah, be right. able to, to do more. Um, but yeah, we're, we're kind of like a farmer. I mean, you, you know, you get ready for harvest, but ultimately the harvest, um, that's where you, you make your living for the year. It's where, you know, you, you jam in, I mean, literally we're jamming in six months worth of work, 
uh, into two months time frame, and the hours are like that. I mean, we're up at three thirty in the morning and not to bed sometimes till 10 30, 11 o'clock at night. And we do that for 60 days straight. So you really, as a hunter, you know, you find out whether you really love it real fast. Um, if you don't love it, it sucks. It's a grind. Yeah. But if you love it, you know, you just, you're like, man, I can't wait for hunting season again. And yeah. I mean, obviously when we're done, everybody's just whooped, tired. Smoked. They're like, yeah. I don't even want to come back again. Don't ask me to be back. I want to see you, know, you ever I again. Take my hat off, throw it on the ground. <laughs> I'm done. No more. My wife's like, I know we'll talk about it again in March. <laughs> yeah. All right. I'm selling these camps, outfitting stuff. I'm over it. Oh yeah. If you ever want to buy a hunting camp, uh, talk, talk to, to them in November. <laughs> it, they're for sale cheap. <laughs> That's awesome. So I'm, I, I know the story, but I, I love how you kind of got into the shooting class and, and from my perspective of someone who's been to the shooting class, like blown away. Like I've been in the truck with you talking to hunters. So I know that you have like, you've given your life to this, you know, so you, your knowledge of the gear and the, and the ammo and the rifles. And I've got to hear the guys ask you questions, but to, to go experience you in this element and your element in this environment, you've brought a different uh, stake to the game in, in the, with the shooting class because of the people that you've got to train with. Like, I feel like going to that class, like there was guys there that have hunted all over the world that they're, they're playing their sixties or like, I, I learned, I learned things. I wish I would have taken this class 30 years ago because you got to train with some guys and I'll let you tell that story. I love this part of your story, but you got to train with some guys that you brought in actual you're bringing in shooting into the outfitting world that's that's changing long distance shooting so tell tell us a little bit about how you got into that and that opportunity that you got to train with the people you got to train with and i love the story of going to idaho falls and picking these guys up and and all of sure. that's pretty cool of how that all went about but yeah i mean i don't know how in depth you know you want me to go but basically shooting classes kind of started with um way back early on in outfitting, I realized that, that guides that knew how to set up a shot got more animals than the guides that didn't. And so I paid attention to, you know, all the different things that could work to help, you know, you make a better shot. And it just, it, you know, you're working your ass off. And, you know, if you go get up there and, and you get all excited and you say, you know, shoot, 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 get him, get him. And then the hunter misses, you got to start all over again and go back oh, to work and find another one. How frustrating. And so it, we're really kind of a coach in a moment that guys really, you know, they don't get a lot of chances to shoot at animals and some of them do, but a lot of guys, you know, they haven't shot at an animal for since last year. And so we're their coach. And so that kind of evolved into, uh, before a hunt we would take time and, and have guys side in their guns and we would shoot and teach them a few shooting positions. Um, we'd set up steel. And, and so it started as, you know, for a couple hours before a hunt. And then guys were like, man, you know, this really helped a whole bunch. I'd love to come do this, you know, at, at another time and do it for longer. Um, and then it evolved into, you know, just learning. I mean, I, I was a sponge. I tried to soak up, you know, whoever I could learn from, I wanted to, you know, I buy particular gear that somebody was using that I thought was going to help out on these hunts. And, 
And then, um, I really got lit on fire because, um, a dude called me up and said, Hey, um, I want to see if I can hire you, uh, to teach some horseback and pack animal skills to some special forces teams. And we'll basically, uh, put a bear tag in their pocket. Um, we'll teach them how to ride horses and then, you know, I'll do the shooting instruction. Um, and you can just kind of participate, you know, and, and, you know, learn some stuff, you know, as these guys are, you know, learning too. And I was like, yeah, sign me up. This is awesome. And so, you know, every kid, I mean, you and I went to, we did rodeo. We talked a little bit about rodeo, uh, our first rodeo experience, but imagine a, a, a kid that's just saw his first rodeo, you know, and he's looking at these cowboys and, you know, he's like, I want to be a cowboy. I mean, this is cool. So in the hunting and shooting world, these guys were the PRCA cowboy it's like and so when we went to metal falls i mean they show up in their own they got their own plane you know the suburbans come over and all this gear starts coming out of the plane and i mean these guys are high level uh you know snipers and i mean they're literally the tip of the sword for some of our best uh you know men on the front lines and i mean they got gear that i mean i was just like oh my gosh how do you know how much does this cost <laughs> they're holding a piece of gear and they're like oh it's about ninety five thousand bucks and i'm like cool but anyways yeah learned a bunch of shooting techniques and and I, just a sponge i mean i just sat there and you know listened to these guys as they were learning and and got a chance to learn too and i'm like man this could be so helpful for hunters and so taking, you know, 25, 30 years of guiding experience, uh, and then personal hunting and, and just, we get a rare opportunity to see how, um, you know, how mistakes are made and, and guys will say to us on the mountain, man, I wish I could do this over again. So our shooting class is a combination of all that stuff. You know, how do we teach somebody the, the, the thing that, you know, where they've said, man, I wish I could have learned this ahead of time. Um, because, you know, tags are hard to get, you know, uh, hunts are expensive and we just want to maximize, you know, those dudes time, you know, when they come up and go on a hunt with us. So, yeah, I mean, and, and oh, feel free to, you know, what, what other stuff stood out to you that, yeah, you know, I, I just was like, what an opportunity, like or, how organically this, <laughs> this shooting class kind of came and then to get the opportunity to learn from these long distance shooters. And I mean, it's science. I could not believe the amount of knowledge that you have in the science of, of all the, the variables in taking a 600 yard shot or a 300 yard shot or a 800 yard shot sure. um, and getting guys like, like me, who's not a shooter, but I also didn't have any bad habits really. So you and Dylan were able to like really get me dialed in to the point where I felt pretty comfortable at six, 700 yards and got pretty accurate at, at hitting steel uh, consistently until you started changing the game. So you get good. And then you had everybody walking on side hill of this mountain and then drop down with sticks and like, okay, hurry, there he is. Hurry, go like real life scenario. And right. my sticks are rolling down the mountains and I'm kicking rocks and like, Oh, there goes the, the deer. He's gone because you know, you right. got two left feet and you're nervous and you're excited. And I'm like, how in the world do people ever shoot anything without going to this class? Because the nerves of like 
you just, it's reps, right? Like anything else, but to, to take this class and then, um, to, to go hunting with you that same year. And I, I, in my mind, I had this picture of, um, you know, I'm going to take this like four or 500 yard shot in this meadow at sunlight or in the, in the morning or in the evening. And then what did we end up? what did I shoot my bull at like 90 yards or something? And after yeah. all this, like preparing, like it was nothing like I thought it was going to be, but you really prepare guys for that kind of scenario, like freehand and leaning on a, you know, on a knee on a tree, like I ended up doing. Sure. Um, and, and all I see is hair cause my scope's kind of adjusted. And I'm so, I, I can't believe that there's this bull that close and I don't know how to, it's all happening so fast. I'm not, I'm not going to adjust my scope. And like, so it was like, without that class, man, I don't even think I would have shot that thing at 90 yards because I wouldn't have had the reps in to be like, okay, take a knee, how to breathe and do all the things. But how cool for you to get to train with those guys at that level and you to retain it and to be able to teach it. I mean, you're, you're really giving guys this, a gift to, to become shooters. The otherwise I don't, no other outfitters are offering this level of shooting classes. I think it's incredible. Yeah, no, I mean, basically that's, that's one of the things that I think um, was easy to learn from the the military guys is we're a product of our training, you know, and, and that's, that's, you know, a lot of people talk about that, but you know, it's just like basketball. It's just like football, you know, in the heat of the game, you know, when, when it's get, when it's go time, you're going to return back to your practice. How did you perform in practice? And if you haven't got skills developed, you know, and that's where the military guys, I mean, obviously the consequences for them, if they, if they don't perform well in battle, you know, people's lives are at stake. So they they take high reps, you know, practice fundamentals uh, to a level that hunters don't normally take things to, but that's where we can learn from them. I mean, our, our stakes aren't very high. If the buck of a lifetime gets away, you know, we might whine and complain and, you know, cry about it, but, you know, lives aren't at stake. So we, we just took, you know, some of that same information and yeah, we just, you know, teach guys to, you know, to be able to perform on the mountain, you know, like, you know, like they want to, we just give them the skills, you know, in the shooting class or, or whatever. So yeah, it's I, awesome. just, I also found it very practical in that, like, you're like, look, here's, I, I loved your talk at the beginning of the class about here's all the gear, but y- you don't need a million dollars worth of gear to go be successful, like how practical it was um, and just getting to know your your limits and your restrictions and what you have and how to work with it. And and it was cool, like uh, you mentioned earlier, like my son Layton went with his 22 and I mean, I have videos of him that I just recently went back and watched of him hitting steel at a, whatever it was. I don't remember how 80 yards or something, but like not missing. Yeah. Like yeah, he, 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 he loved had a it. grin from ear to yeah. ear. And every time the, the bullet would hit the steel, I mean, he would just, you could just see him like, oh, yeah. I love it. I want to do this all day long. Yeah. So it was, it was a super great experience, but then it also served me well. And when I got to actually go use the skills, but yeah, I've heard great, just so many great things from uh, people that I've known that went to your school and, 
and that you and Jacob just do such a great job with it. And, and uh, you guys have quite the team put together up there. So. Oh, it's awesome. Well, yeah. and the, the, the other cool part is even if it's not for hunting, I mean, that was what we saw this year with the, you know, bringing guys, you know, in, in kind of a men's event, you know, experiences, um, you know, I, I think as, as men, we do well by learning certain skills, you know, even if we're not going to go on guided hunts and, and all this stuff, I mean, it, it it's an environment where number one, you can kind of come, you might be taken out of your comfort zone, uh, but you're going to learn, you know, skills and, and the mountain has a way of, uh, I think it unlocks, you know, pieces inside of us as men um, that, you know, it literally, we, we grow and, and we learn and, and we expand who we are in that environment. And I think if you look back through time and, you know, even the Bible talks about, you know, different stories where, you know, men came together and, you know, we always talk about, you know, permission to be dangerous and, and there's parts of us that get unlocked. And in today's world, there's, there's so many men out there that could benefit from, you know, learning these skills, even if they're not going to, you know, go, like I say, on a guided hunt or, you know, whatever. And, and, you know, seeing that in Leighton, that's one of the things that's so cool. You know, I mean, literally you could see him. I, I, I recognize the look in his eye. I mean, he was like the little kid that just saw, you know, his first rodeo star. And he was like, I want to do this. Yeah. And, and it's so Jack. fun to just cultivate that. Yeah, it's it was a great experience, and I, I just would encourage anybody that's into hunting or wanting to get into it, man. Before you get bad habits, like go go to Rob's class, and well, or not just our class. I mean, just it, it's it's a great excuse to go, you know, learn some to the new range. Skills. And, yeah, and I think you're right. Like, there's something about it that was for me that was super humbling because you're submitting yourself to something you don't know how to do, and I think we get us middle-aged men right um get comfortable in our environment and we never stretch and grow because we do the same things all the time we go to work and we you know um because we we don't say yes to something we're not comfortable with um and that shooting class was very humbling for not only yeah. me but for guy, mostly for guys who have been hunting their whole lives and have been yeah. shooting and get frustrated like I can't believe that I can't hit this target and, you know, downhill and at 800 yards and there's a wind and, you know, so it was, it was super interesting to see that unfold too. And how great you were with encouraging guys and helping them fight through the mental block of it, because so much of what we do anymore, it's not always physical. It's how do we get through these mental challenges of, of obstacles. Right. And there's right. so many parallels and what you teach on the side of a mountain in hunting camp in July in Wyoming about life that I just thought was impactful and, and, and powerful for me. And I know for everyone that when I'm, I just talked to Todd Pierce last week and he'd went, he went to it, you know, and, and just same thing, like, man, it's just the parallels and the environment of being up there and not having cell phones and screens and it unlocks yeah, something in it for sure. Um, yeah, so there's I, like, I'll go. I just keep sitting here looking at the, the logo, the wild courage logo. Cause we both have our wild courage hats on. Oh, yeah. 
And there's a, there's a buck on there that oft we get lots of questions about. And I thought this is, it's the logo for everything on the podcast and on our, yeah. all of our apparel and um, our hats, obviously. And um, there's a wonderful story that goes along with this, this buck um, named Magnum. That is a replica of our logo, the exact replica of the logo. Um, so what a cool time. For, if you don't mind, would you tell us the the story of Magnum? Sure. And what he means to you and your business, and and what you uh, what that experience was like, and how it became to be our logo. It's a pretty cool. Yeah, story. yeah, I can definitely do that. So I guess Magnum represents. Um, you know, we talked about in the last podcast. You know, do outfitters get you know belt buckles? You know, like a PRCA cowboy. And so Magnum, I guess, represents the belt buckle. Um, when, when you're a little kid and you're dreaming, like growing up in Southeastern Idaho, I used to dream about, you know, getting a big buck. And I mean, I used to literally like, I, I've prayed to God. I can't tell you how many times, <laughs> please. I just want to see one in my life. I just want to see one. And I guess Magnum represents a, um, you know, for a little kid, when you have a dream, you know, can I, can I see one? I mean, <clears throat> I get emotional. I, I felt it like coming on just right there. Every time I talk about Magnum, because, you know, as a, as a young man, you know, and having this dream, when I sat across the Canyon and I looked at Magnum for the first time, I was like, God, thank you. This is an answer to dreams. I mean, this thing is a giant of giants. And public land, um, you know, in a place that I I'm going to be able to hunt this deer. And so it's kind of like, I imagine what an Olympic athlete feels like, you know, when they, you know, when they finally won enough of a, of, you know, their, their, their preliminary races to finally know I'm going and I'm going to get a chance for the gold medal. Mm. And so Magnum represented just in my story the, the, the opportunity, you know, to go and, and compete for the gold. And it wasn't a guarantee that we were going to get him. Um, I mean, he lived in a place that, I mean, of all the bucks I've ever chased, he was one of the most challenging bucks. You know, he lived primarily in black timber. Um, he had a place where he watered, um, and he would live on three sides of a mountain. Um, each time we'd go to look for him, we wouldn't always see him. What time, um, when did you first see him? What time of uh, year? In August. Yep. Um, found him in August. Um, and then... Uh, Did you see yeah. him first? Yeah. And you yep. were just, like you just said, like, oh my gosh. I, I just couldn't believe what I was seeing. I, I could not believe that that a buck, you know, actually, you know, lived like that. Those were just the bucks of the magazines. They were the bucks as the little High kid. Fence. Used to win the 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 big buck awards you know in southeastern idaho i mean there were a lot of them like that but it was always somebody else you know and, and right now i was looking at this deer for the first time and i mean that's what i said it was, it was an emotional and powerful thing but um were you by yeah, yourself so, when you saw him no i was with a i was with a good friend um and and it was uh it was a cool experience to share together but how far away were you um I don't know. I guess the first time we saw him probably, you know, a couple 
couple thousand yards, I guess. Yeah. Um, but the next time, I mean, the most powerful one is sometimes when you find a buck in our scouting, you don't know if you found his home territory. And the most powerful one was when I went back by myself and I was able to find him, um, in his, you know, basically in his, his living room. And I just sat with him, you know, across the Canyon. I was about 400 yards away and just watched him and took video and pictures and, and just literally just, I, I couldn't believe what I was seeing. Um, and how did and, you know that he wasn't just, just by the way he acted, you knew he was home. Yeah. And these deer, they're migratory deer. Um, the Western Wyoming mule deer herd is, um, is a pretty spectacular herd. I mean, some of them migrate, you know, a hundred miles, 150 miles, um, from their summer range out to their winter range. And so once we find them, um, in August, typically that's their, they're, they're in their, 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 you know, their fall area. Um, if you find them earlier in the summer, they still can be moving. Mm, gotcha. Um, it can be a transition area. Um, but once we find them in August, we kind of know, Hey, that's, that's, uh, you know, he's going to be here somewhere. And some of those bucks, I mean, some of the great bucks are, of this Western Wyoming area, Popeye was one, um, real famous deer, 40 inches wide. There's actually right behind me. There's a picture of him, uh, right here. Um, that's on the wall, but Popeye was a famous buck from, um, from this area back in the early nineties. And Popeye was a mover. Um, he would summer in one place and then he would move along. Um, he didn't stay right there and some mm. bucks are movers. And that's where I didn't know if Magnum was a mover. I didn't know, you know, did I find his home territory? Was he going to stay there until snow pushed him out? And once I found him later, I knew, yes, this, this is his home territory. So from this the, is where we can hunt. From the first time you saw him to the second time you saw him, was he in the same place? or and Pretty how, close. How far in between? Was it days, weeks? Uh, it was about a, I think it was probably about two weeks. But, yeah. From the first and, time you saw him till the next time? Yeah. And yeah. in between times, were you looking for him again? No. Nope. I, I was scouting other places and, and I mean, you just can't go back every single day. It takes a big commitment, you know, yeah, to find these animals sometimes, but yeah, but once, once I located him, then I came home and, and the first question that, that every person is going to ask is as an outfitter, do I hunt this deer myself? Which there's a lot of outfitters that have, have fallen into that where they're like, they find a giant and now they want to get it themselves. Cause this is a once in a lifetime deer. Oh, do you so, see one? I thought about that for about 20 seconds and I was like, there's no way I, I was hired by my clients to find deer and, and I, I'm going to do the best that I can for my clients. But then the question is, who do you, who do you invite, you know, to go oh. on this hunt with you? Cause every single guy that ever comes with you, this is his dream too. Yeah. And so you got to really think about like, how do we, you know, that, that was the next strategy. Who do we, who do we ask to, to come hunt this deer? And so I went through, you know, just the guys that I knew that were, that were, you know, in the, you know, in the, uh, in the pool for that year that had, you know, had been put in with us and, you know, guys that I knew, you know, I, I, looked at, I looked at return clients because I knew, you know, what they, what they could do on the mountain. It's the same thing that we were talking about, you know, we're, we're going to perform under pressure, how we practice. So I needed somebody that could perform 
you know, in the moment of truth, because we may only get one chance. And, and you, so- you pull that deer up in your scope. You've got to have somebody that's not going to have a heart attack and roll down the mountain. Like you, like you're Correct. saying, I it's mean, a that's a deal. huge amount of pressure. Huge. Even, even, oh my gosh, I can't imagine. Yeah. So I ended up, uh, Brendan and I kind of got a short list of, of people who we felt, you know, could do it. Uh, the first phone call um, was uh, to a man that actually helped Brendan and I. Um, he, he actually helped us buy our, our dead man camp. He loaned us uh, the finances um, to do, you know, to be able to, to, to buy dead man's. And so, I mean, he's an awesome dude. And someday I'd love to get him on this podcast because yeah, he sure. has an amazing life story. I mean, like crazy, amazing. I don't want to go into like any details because I could get lost because this man is, you know, it has inspired us. Um, and, 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 you know, like I said, someday I'd love for him to tell his story. Mm-hmm. Um, but in, uh, he couldn't do it um, for reasons. He basically just went through the, the 2009 housing crunch. He's a, he's a developer and he just had a whole bunch of things that were going on. And he just said, Rob, I can't, I know what you're asking and I can't be there, you know, mentally and for the oh, time that, that is going to require to do justice for this deer. And so he said, no. I talked to another guy um, and he said no. And so number three um, on this list was a guy um, who'd hunted with us several times. And over like a 15 year span, he had hunted region G like 10 times. I mean, he was like a sold out mule deer junkie, you know, crazy. I mean, just absolutely woke up every day thinking about mule deer, but he also had a component that was really cool about this because this deer was a timber buck. I knew our chances of hunting him and getting a shot, we were going to be at close quarters. And so this man, uh, Brian Ingram is his name. Uh, he is from Northern California, hunts blacktails um, in super close quarters. And so he, he had spent his life hunting deer in a, like the similar scenario that was going to unfold on the mountain. Mm. And so I called him up and he was like, he's like, are, are, are you kidding me? Like, yeah, uh, uh, for sure. Yeah. And, <laughs> I, bet. I mean, like literally, uh, you know, he literally, it was like one of the, the coolest things, uh, you know, that he could ever imagine. I mean, same thing. He's dreamed about a buck like this his whole life. And so, um, it, what was kind of some cool stuff about Brian's story? Um, he'd actually been on a, on a hunt earlier and had a, uh, a hornet's nest, um, bite his, his animal that he was riding. He was riding a mule. And he ended up getting thrown off and he had a hip injury and then he got arthritis in the hip really bad. And so one of the, the concerns for him on this hunt was, was he going to be able to do the physical rigors of it? And this was a super physical hunt. Um, like literally once we located and knew that this was Magnum's home territory, I mean, I did the math and I'm like, okay, so where we are permitted, you know, for where we can launch this hunt from, you know, I literally did the math and I'm like, we're going to have to get up at like one forty-five to two o'clock in the morning. We're going to have 15 minutes for breakfast. We're going to have 15 minutes to move to where the truck and trailer's at. We're going to drive this long. We're going to ride for two hours. We're going to hike a hill and then we're going to glass. And, and th- I mean, okay, we can do it physically. It's going to suck. I mean, it's going to test us to the absolute maximum. 
And so on this hunt, you know, uh, we actually decided we were going to hunt the deer with a bow first, and that was going to be kind of our learning his habits, learning where he lived. And if the right opportunity presented, we were going to be able to, you know, try to get a shot with a, with a crossbow. Um, what's that? Why, why did you think just cause it was close? Like, why would you, I didn't know this part of the story. Why would you use a bow or a crossbow? Because it opened September 1st. Um, so we could hunt earlier, you know, earlier, but it was also, we're using it as a tactical, you know, strategy to, to be able to learn the deer's habits, uh, learn where he waters, learn where he beds. You know, we were just going to be there hunting. And then, you know, in the process, we would, we would figure out, you know, where his weakness was, we were, where we were going to be able to get a shot. And so, um, we, we started that hunt and Brian with his hip injury, um, we would ride in and, and I would look back and I'm like, how you doing buddy? And he's like, I'm good. I'm good. I'm like, so give me an idea where the pain's at. And he's like, Oh, it's 10. It's, it's 10. I just pissed myself a little bit right there. <laughs> and I, but the dude wouldn't quit. I mean, like he was like, he's like, if you got to drape me over this horse, uh, and tie my ankles and my wrist to the saddle, I'm still going <laughs> doing it. Um, but anyways, yeah. So we did that for a couple of days. Um, but Magnum was, it was a rare animal. Um, when we would, uh, go to look for him, there were times that literally six days would go by and we would not see him. Oh and my gosh. The deer density in this area was super low. Um, and so there were, um, there were lots of, I mean, this was a mental game more than it was a physical game, e even as hard as it was physical. I literally had to go into it with a game plan with Brian and I'm like, okay, Brian, we're hunting one deer. We're going to have a strategy and we're going to, we're going to stick to the strategy until, until we learn something that's going to cause us to change the strategy, but it's going to get ugly. We're going to, we're not going to see him. We're going to be looking into the timber and, and we're going to start second guessing. This is what happens to most hunters. And this is where, why a lot of these big bucks don't get killed is if you've sat on the mountain for five and a half days oh, and all you've seen is one doe and maybe a forky horn, you're going to start, your mind is going to start playing tricks on you. Like you can't believe like, Oh, you need to be over there. Oh, he he's left another hunter killed him. Um, Oh, Oh, I mean, all these things start to bombard you and you have to stick to the Man, plan. You have to imagine. stick to the plan. And there were times that Brian would be like, yeah, yeah. What, 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 you know, what, what about, and I'm like, no, we're sticking to the plan. We're, we're going to days, six days of sitting there from morning. Yes. Before take, dark, yeah. to dark. Yeah. And you got to take a nap during that time. Cause you physically yeah, you just can't day. do it. Yeah. So we do it in shifts. All right. You're up, you're on glass. I'm taking a nap. All right, go ahead. You take a nap. I'm on glass. And so this went on for a while. But literally what, what became apparent was I was going to probably almost kill Brian to be able to hunt this deer, you know, physically because of his hip injury. So, um, I went to the forest service. So we got done with the bow hunt. We didn't kill him. We saw him one time. We, we kind of, you know, put some of the pieces of the puzzle together, but now we're going to come back and hunt him with a rifle. And so I went in and talked to the forest service. And I said, Hey, I have a, I have a request that's out of the normal. This isn't, you know, this isn't normal, but uh, I've got a guy that, that has booked to hunt with us to hunt one animal. He has a hip injury. 
And, you know, literally I, I'm worried that I'm going to kill him trying to get him in and out every day because our permits in Wyoming, we have to either base off of private land or we have to camp at our, 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 uh, our permanent campsites. Like, you know, the camps that we have, we have big park and then we have uh, dead man camp. And so we have to originate our hunt either from private land or those camps. And so I went in and, and requested a special use permit to be able to camp close to where this deer actually lived. So I wouldn't have to ride Brian in and out the, the two hours each day uh, to get to where, you know, we could get back to our, our place of, of um, operation. And so the, the ranger was like, you know, I don't like it, but I understand. And yeah, I'll go ahead and give you this special use. Wow. So we were able to camp right next to where the deer lived, you know, so that, you know, how far we, away. Uh, we were about, oh, I would say about a mile away from where we killed it. Uh, and so, um, yeah, it, it helped a whole bunch, uh, just for Brian's sake. I mean, it was literally, we, we, we might've killed him. Um, so he ended up getting a full hip replacement, um, later, later that year after, after we killed Magnum, but yeah. So, I mean, like going through the hunt, um, you know, like I can remember the details of it, like it was yesterday. And so, uh, we were able to locate him right before the season. Um, we, you know, like literally the night right before, before, right before rifle opened. Yep. Um, and that morning we snuck up and we got up on the Ridge. We, you know, we snuck out at first light, right where we saw him, um, the night before. I mean, you can't imagine the intensity that that was happening in that moment and we snuck out there and kind of a funny story you, you I, I told the the story about how i was a winter ground uh coyote hunting junkie and so we're looking you know like 75 yards 100 yards from where magnum was the night before and we're sitting up on this ridge and two coyotes come walking by at like i mean i felt like it was a test like at 15 <laughs> yards they don't even know we're there. I mean, which is totally rare that a coyote would get yeah. that close. And I looked at Brian and I'm like, they don't know how lucky they are. Today. Yeah. <laughs> Any other circumstance. Any other smoked. circumstance, we'd have smoked them. But uh anyways, so uh we, we passed the test, I guess, you know. It would have been did. worse if it was wolves, because you oh, really had a dilemma on your hands. I would have had a dilemma. Yeah, <laughs> I still probably would have held out and but that'd have been even tougher. So I, can I ask you a question real quick? So in that six days of you guys just sitting there, what, where is that deer? Like is, is, is he's in the timber sleep all day and eat at night or they're, they're primarily these big old bucks are primarily nocturnal animals. They, they go to water, they feed at night, first light, last light, and some time in the middle of the day. A is where you're you're going to get this limp um and and a lot of times the older the bucks are and the more aware magnum was a super aware buck like there were times that that when i was able to locate him ahead of the season in august um he would come out to the edge of the timber and he would just stand and he would and just look around look around he just had a an awareness i mean this deer you know very few people had ever seen this buck like at all there was a dude that had picked up his sheds uh for a couple of years on the winter ground he'd never seen the buck with his own eyes he only found the sheds 
And he looked for him. Like literally when you find a deer this big, you want to figure out where this deer lives and you want to get video or pictures of him. And he never actually got to see this deer. That's how secretive of an animal he was. Um, and, and I saw it. I mean, I literally saw it in the summer rounds. Like there was one time there was a, there was two big avalanche shoots and he was on the edge of the timber and he just sat there. There was a bull elk a hundred yards away on the other side of a strip of trees and another avalanche shoot that was out grazing and Magnum would sit there and he could hear the bull like moving around and he would, Magnum would like stomp his foot and, and, and he wouldn't, you know, do anything for like, I mean, it went on for like 35 minutes where he just sat there and then he just quietly turned around and went back in the timber. And so he had, you know, what people call a, a situational awareness. Some bucks, you know, have it and this deer, I mean, he just had it. So yeah, in those six days, you know, he was, you know, he was paying attention or he was, you know, in the timber, he primarily lived in the timber. Um, and then he would come out to water. Um, and then, you know, that's where we would catch glimpses of him. But one thing that always stood out with Magnum, the only time we really located him was, um, either after a little storm or before a storm came, like the barometric pressures would change. And, and, and that was enough to, to increase his, his mobility. And that's when we would see him. Um, and right before we killed him, a monster storm came in. It actually was one of the reasons we were able to kill him that day. Um, but yeah, so, I mean, the, the, we, October 4th, uh, 2011. So wait, when did, when did the, when did the rifle season open? What day? October 1st? October 1st. Yes. Okay. So you're four days into rifle. Do you see four days into rifle? We've been there since before the season, no other hunters actually hunting for him. Um, which is obviously a gift, you know, that we weren't in competition with another hunter, but yeah, daylight, October 4th, uh, 2011, I glass across the mountain and there's Magnum bedded. Um, I just catch him. He's there's timber, like a big timber patch. There's a, there's a center timber patch where we ended up ultimately killing him and there's openings up above and around it. And he's bedded in some chaparral above this, this, this timber patch in a bigger opening. And, uh, it was like, it was game on, here we go. We got him located. He's bedded. Um, and so the, the strategy was I was going to take Brian. How far away were you? Uh, about a thousand yards, uh, 1200 yards. Um, and so there was no option to shoot the closest we could get to, to him across Canyon was 900 yards. And there is absolutely no way ever I would consider, you know, taking a shot like that. Just too many variables. I mean, once in a lifetime animal, I mean, I, I I'm going to take my risk close quarters. So sure. Brian and I went up above, um, and started sneaking in on him and, and that's where this storm started blowing in. And so there were huge wind gusts. And so it was a big pile of rocks. Um, I mean, every step we took was rocks. And we would take a step and we would wait and we would wait for a gust of wind to, to blow in front of us. Uh, and then we would step, you know, and we would use the wind to, to mask our steps and then wow. we would stop. And we played this cat and mouse game for, you know, I can't remember, 45 minutes just sneaking in. And we would go four, five, 10 yards at a time. And we got to where, um, he, so Magnum got up, went into that patch of timber, 
bedded. Um, and then he got up again. So it's like, it's midday. Like, I don't know if it was 10 30, 11 noon, somewhere around there, but he started feeding. So we're above him and we're working towards him and he gets up and starts feeding and he's feeding towards us. Um, and so, uh, if you don't we, know that, uh, no, we did know that. Oh, yep. you could see him. Nope. I had, uh, one of our other guides <laughs> on the other side of the mountain and, and he was letting us know what he was doing. Um, and so we got to a place where, um, where I could see Magnum was rubbing his horns on a quaking aspen brush. Um, and, um, I, I'm like, okay, we had talked about it before and I'm like, okay, Brian, we are this close. When I stop, you bump into me and we move as one unit. We're going to just, you know, when, when I see something or you see something, you know, we're going to go towards, you know, where we can, you know, uh, close this distance. But if you've never hunted in a scenario like that, like bow hunting or, or, or hunting, there's a, there's usually a, a roll of the ridge or roll of the terrain. And you can't just see down, you know, you, you just can't see that hundred yards. There's a roll of the, of the terrain to where you can only see a little ways. So, you know, it's, it's like, literally you're, you're going blind. You, you know, he's in front of you, but you, you got to keep out close. He might be 20 yards in front of you. Exactly. And, and this deer like is so aware that once we spook him, he, he's going to totally change his game. So this is like our, our one shot. So anyways, uh, he's rubbing his antlers on the tree. So now he's making enough noise himself that we can use that as an advantage. And we, you know, we, we close the distance and we get to, we're literally 65 yards. And then he stops rubbing the branches and we're, we're just, you know, trying to take a step. The wind gusts come up. We take another step. Well, he starts feeding underneath of us and, and literally we're 65 yards from him and we don't know it. We can't see where he's at because he's got his head down and he's eating. And so we can't see his antlers. And, and so we'll take a step. He's taking a step and he's basically going to our right. And we're going towards the tree, the quaking aspen that we saw him. We know he's going to be somewhere close to that. We take another step. We take another step. And out of the corner of my eye, like further over to the right than, than I totally expected, I see a little bit of movement. I'm like, there he is. There he is. And Brian immediately pulls his gun up and he's, you know, going back and forth. He's like, I don't see him. And I literally grabbed the gun and pointed it at Magnum. And at that moment, Magnum picked our movement up and he picks his head up and he looks back at us and it went like that Magnum looked at us and he wheeled. He was like, Oh shit, you know, hunters threat predator, whatever. And he was gone. So he wheeled Brian shoots, boom, bolts another shell in boom shoots again there's rocks rolling you know magnum's running full speed and he disappears out of sight i mean well our little tiny window of view we we basically can't see uh you know we can't see where he went and brian and and i too admittedly we both thought he missed because it was so fast i mean it was like lightning boom boom and so, so you pick his gun up, you point it towards him. He no, sees he, him. he's got his gun up to I know, his but shoulder. you like move the barrel. I just pushed the barrel over so you're and pointed it at Magnum. To him. And then Magnum turns and looks and, and he pulls the trigger. Well, yeah, it, like Magnum wheels and turns and runs. It all happens. I mean, literally oh my in, a, gosh. in a split second. So literally that's the, the black tail hunter in Brian Ingram came out like He'd done this as a kid over and over again, but in his mind, 
And in my mind, he missed. And, and I mean, you want to talk about a moment, uh, you know, of, of how to handle some reaction. What do you say to um, So I, I'm in the game still. I mean, I'm like, you know, I don't know, you know, what just happened, but I'm going to go look for sign magnet or excuse me. Brian said like, literally he puts his gun up on his shoulder and he's like, he's like, I, I think I missed. I think I missed. And, and he's like, he's his own words. He said, if there was a cliff nearby, I would have ran and jumped off of it. Cause I thought I just missed the buck of a lifetime. And I'm like, no, no, let's just, just let's stay in the fight. Come on. Let's, let, you know, let's go look for sign. And so he's kind of like wandering around in a circle, like muttering to himself. Oh my God. Oh my God. And, and I go over, I get to the last place we see Magnum and I'm looking on the ground. I'm looking for blood. And I look up and I can see him. He's laying on his back and I can see his nose poking out of the brush and I can see the antlers right there. And you want to talk about <laughs> excitement. <laughs> and Brian looks at me and he's like, shut up. Are you How far away was, was he still back over there? Yeah. So what Who was who where was he still <laughs> back over where he pulled the trigger? Yeah. And then we're not very far. I mean, we're yeah. only like, yards apart but and we walk up and literally we just we sit there we literally we don't touch him we set the gun down and we just sit there and i I mean all of this emotion starts building up and we gave thanks i mean literally before we touched him i thank god i'm like this is a dream come true. This doesn't happen very often. This is, this is one of those moments in life. Thank you. Thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for everything that this thing represents. And, and so Magnum represents, I mean, it's way more than just, Hey, what is this? What does this deer score? Or, you know, he's a, he's, I mean, he is, he's a, he's a, Greek. He, he's an iconic buck. He's a, I mean, there's so many words we could use to, he's an anomaly. I mean, he shouldn't be that big living on public land, but that's how amazing Western Wyoming really is. But we sat there and we just, we, we just respected the, the moment. Uh, we didn't talk about score. We didn't talk about width. We just, we just enjoyed the moment. You just honored and him. We did. We honored him. Um, and then, yeah, we, you know, after that, we, we did obviously take pictures and we just went through that experience. And, and one of the things I would, I would say that I learned, you know, from, from that experience is, you know, it's like the belt buckle. It's the, it's the, you know, it's the PRCA, you know, NFR title. It's the, the gold medal for the, you know, for the Olympic runner or whatever. That moment, it, it, you, you, you find yourself that you, before you have an experience like that, you give everything for that one. You, you believe that the answer that you're looking for as a man is in that moment. And, and it, it was such a powerful experience. It's one of the most powerful experiences I've ever had in my entire life, but it doesn't answer the question that you think it's going to. I literally thought that if I could kill a buck like that, when I was 30 years old, 
that the answer to my dreams was going to, I, I would have made it. I'd have been the happiest guy on the planet. It would have, it would have answered everything. And it did for a short period of time, but even that fades. And, and the, and the, 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 the thing that's the lure is then you got to do it again. And then the stakes get higher and you keep, you got to keep pressure. doing it. Yeah. And then, then there's the pressure to perform and, and then there's expectation and all that. And, and I asked the question to, to myself and I asked the people, you know, that, that I run into on the mountain guides, hunters, what are we looking for on that mountain that we can't find anywhere else on, on the, in the world? And, 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 and in that moment, you know, we, we find that answer, but it's fleeting. It doesn't stick around. It's kind of like alcohol. The first three beers that you drink, you know, when you're all stressed out, if, it, if it, they all tasted like that, you know, yeah, right. But it doesn't last. It goes That's away. Good. And then you got to up the ante. And so, yeah, Magnum was the answer at that time. He represents, you know, 20 years of dedication of getting up at three o'clock in the morning. And literally when, when everybody else had lost hope, you know, it was, no, I, I'm going to go find I'm going to go find Magnum. I'm, I'm going out there. You know, it was the, it was the affirmation and, and things that, a that, a that a hunter looks for. Cool. Awesome. Amazing. Magazines, fame. I mean, he was on the cover of, I mean, it, it did. It checked all the boxes. Yep. Like, but uh, one thing you said is like now, right. The expectation. Like, now every hunter wants a magnum yeah and there were people that were pissed at me i mean i, I this is the part i never dreamed that would ever happen is there were times where um yeah people were pissed like locals were pissed um you know uh, other hunters were pissed the clients that i was guiding you know in our service i had one guy we took magnum up to our camp um and there was a group of six uh, hunters that had booked to hunt with us. They had awesome guides. They were doing well. They, they got a chance to get on some big deer. But one guy later pulled me aside and said, you sacrificed an entire camp full of hunters for one guy and one deer. And he was pissed at me over Magnum because he, he, he expected that I should have been there in camp with him. And because I wasn't, he was mad. Oh, so yeah. Why were a- all the locals mad? Um, it's funny, like anytime a big deer like that gets killed, there's, there's like, there's almost like mythology that, that grows out of the stories that people hear. I mean, like literally I had people tell me that I heard the story about Magnum. I heard you guys bought him at a, at a game farm, you know, like the high fence and took him in your horse trailer and brought him up to Wyoming and shot him. And, 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 you know, said he was one of your clients deer. I mean, I heard stuff like, you know, one of the cool things that, 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 I mean, I just love these stories. They're funny. Yeah, it's so funny. Jealousy. One was, Hey, your wife's a vet. And I know you go out there and you got these ex special forces guys and you got all this military stuff and you go and find these deer and then you, you dart them in the summertime and put the microchips, you know, that your wife has for the vet clinic in the deer and then you go in later, like beep, beep, beep. Yeah, he's, you know where he's like up here, you know, and we sneak in there and boom, shoot the deer. I'm like, <laughs> like obviously, 
Those uh, microchips only work when you're about that close to them. <laughs> oh, it's, yeah, you have so, to scan like right over them. Yeah, yeah so there's cool. all kinds of stories. I mean, here's another story that was awesome. There was a local game warden that I, we didn't get along. I actually met him. He was bow hunting for himself uh, in the camp that we had established or that we'd got the special use permit from the Forest Service. We ran into him at camp and he literally, he gets this look and he's like, why are you here? I'm like, oh, we're just hunting, you know? And he's like, you seem evasive. I'm like, no, no, we're just, we're just hunting. Obviously, I'm not going to tell him. Yeah, we're he's hunting, hunting for the buck of a hundred lifetimes, and and so he's like, "Why did you pick this spot?" And I'm like, "I don't know. It's kind of out of the way. There wasn't a lot of other people." I told him about, you know, Brian and the hip and and all this stuff. And so, I mean, he was like, all of his spidey senses were going off. But I'm not going to tell him. I can't. There. There's yeah. no way. There's only like three people on the planet that knew about Magnum. Like you can't talk about a deer like this if you want to have the ability to go hunt him yourself. Yeah. And so when the hunt was over, a really good close friend of mine went in to check a mountain lion. Um, so there's a mandatory check on mountain lions. And he goes into the game warden's office and he's got a file, like stuffed full of papers. And on the very top of the file is the picture of Magnum. And obviously he knows that this friend is going to ask him about the buck or they're going to talk about it. And, and the game warden's like, or, or the friend asked him, he says, so yeah, kind of a cool buck right there. And he's like, yeah, I got a full investigation on these guys, you know, to make sure that it was done legit. And if they broke the law at, at with anything, I'm taking them down. And oh I mean, and gosh. That's, that's what happens with these big deer. I mean, legitimately people are willing to compromise marriages. They're willing to compromise being a father. They're willing to compromise jobs. They're willing to compromise the law. I mean, it, these deer make people compromise. And, and so it's normal for people to break the law to just get this once in a lifetime animal. And that was one of the things at the beginning of Magnum. I was like, no matter what, we are doing it by the letter of the law. But I mean, there's no except because I yeah. knew we would be looked at with a microscope. Um, and, and, and so, yeah, that was kind of a, a, a fun story. But it is, it is funny how, jealousy um conspiracy theory like all ties in like even with when when i got my bull with you yep i was surprised by even my own friends some of them reactions yep like because it, it was just one of those incredible days you know that we were blessed and i got to get this huge bull with you my first one ever i think it was like really i've been working yeah. my whole life somebody else you know you one time get lucky and go pop this big bull but it but it is interesting the reaction when you shoot this big deer like people come out of the woodwork to like try to uh ruin your reputation woodwork. and discredit you and it's just, it's, it's weird how people react to other people's successes. Yeah. It, that is a normal part of being a, an outfitter. And, and, you know, I mean, obviously we can all look at every industry and there's, there's certain, you know, people that have, that have made mistakes or, 
made sacrifices or not sacrifices, compromises and, and, and cheated to get certain things. And, and so it's easy to say that an outfitter, you know, there's some outfitters that are illegal, so they all must be illegal. Yeah, sure. And, and so you get lumped into this, you know, into this category, um, you know, because of others mistakes and, you know, we all make mistakes, but it's one of those things that, yeah, I mean, it, it, it taps into something. I mean, if you go to like hunting forums where hunters go online and start talking about hunts, uh, it's so toxic at times. I mean, it's not all like that, but there are places where, I mean, it's a, it's a cesspool of jealousy of, of ego, ego, hatred. I mean, people that they're wanting to shame other guys, tear them down. I mean, it's, it's nasty, like nasty, nasty, nasty. And I, that's the part I wasn't prepared for was, you know, after you get your gold medal, you know, for everyone hates you for it there. Well, not everybody, but certainly there's an element of people that, that, I mean, there are people that absolutely hate me and don't even know me. They, they have this idea of who I am, you know, because of, you know, I'm, I'm a secretive dude. I, I don't talk about, you know, like the Magnum story. Uh, we, we did a magazine article, but I mean, I could have done, I mean, I had people calling me all the time. They wanted to do, you know, all kinds of things with Magnum. And it, that's what it was. It wasn't about money. We, you know, that's one of the things even with, with, with Brian, we talked about, we're not doing this for fame. We're not doing this, you know, uh, to get the, the, the accolades of it. We're doing it because we love chasing giant mule deer and we want to go do our best. This is a, this is a test that we want to, you know, enter in as, as a hunter, us against the, the, the mountain and the animal. And then, you know, we're going to, we're going to do it for the right reasons. I mean, that's the whole thing. When I had that choice, I could have, I could have went and hunted that animal for myself, but, but non-typical outfitters is how I provide a living for my family and and for my kids and everything else so i chose to do it you know for the right reasons and 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 that's where yeah it, th- those big bucks tempt you to to do to compromise yeah and the scrutiny that you came under um is people don't like what they don't know and i love like you don't have a, your name, your logo, not to go outfitters on a truck, on a trailer. You don't do social media. Like you are a secretive guy. And I love that you do it for the right reasons. Like you have created something. And the fact that you don't do all that is why I think people are interested and or want to make up narratives, right? And make up stories about you because you don't live life on social media. Um, this is a very rare glimpse into your life and your thought process doing, doing this. So I appreciate that because I know like even, even, um, being around your guys and your camps and stuff, like you're, you're very professional and you, you go about your business and try to impact the the lives of the guys that come to hunt with you. And, and, and people don't always like that because they don't know, they don't know. So they're, they're scared. And they want to make up their own narratives about you and your business and how you carry yourself. And, and I, I, I get it. I think it's awesome how you, how you go about your business. But um, so that, that buck definitely 
helped put you on the map. Oh, uh, like beyond. Yeah. And our, our business went like vertical <clears throat> after Magnum. Um, that was 2011 from 2011 to, uh, 2015. I mean, literally our, our business went vertical and, and it wasn't just Magnum. I mean, we killed other bucks, Rockstar, snag 007. I mean, literally uh, there were times that I couldn't even believe that, that we were, we were as successful as we were. And I mean, this is kind of a, uh, you know, a, I don't even know how to say it. I mean, it, it, it literally, all of that, you know, kind of fed into the 2015 moment is, you know, I, I thought if I could achieve Magnum, that was the mountain peak, um, experience. And, and, and I went to 30,000 feet above Magnum and, and still I, I should have been the happiest guy on the planet, but I wasn't. And, and, you know, that's the, that's the part that's that, that's really cool to unpack. You know, I think there's 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 really cool things that that we can all learn from, you know, experiences. I mean, like hearing the other guys that you you've had on, uh, you know, on the podcast. I mean, this is this is the cool part of of coming together. We can learn from each other, you know, so we don't have to make the same mistakes over that's again. Right. Which is the um, point of this whole thing, by the way. It is the point, and yeah. and that's where you know. Uh, I've surrendered my story. Um, and, and I feel like I, I, I like telling it, you know, and I've been a secretive guy, but I think there's also, there's a part where if, if you're not telling your story, somebody else is. And so, you know, that's, yeah, that's, that's good. One of the places I was avoiding was telling my story because I didn't want the accolades that went with it. I, I didn't need those. I, I was in a battle with myself. I wasn't trying to prove anything to anybody else. I was trying to prove it to myself. But now I want to share that story. So maybe I can help another dude not have to make the same mistakes that I'm making or, or made. Um, I still make mistakes, but, but we can learn from each other. Um, and that's where literally that's, that's, that's what this is about. That's what wild courage is. That's what Magnum represents for me. I mean, it can represent a lot of other things, but for me, it represents, you know, what, what did I learn in the process? I learned that I thought Magnum was the answer to my dreams, but there's a whole lot more, you know, right now, the, the greatest trophy that, that I'm striving for right now is to be the best husband, to be the best son, you know, of the father, to be the best, you know, father to my children. To me, that's the more important trophy that I couldn't see the forest for the trees you know, uh, that was right in front of me and, and I was compromising, you know, all those things thinking I was doing it right. You know, God was there. I mean, I was praying to God, you know, for Magnum. And I feel like I really believe that, you know, there was some, God was there. I, I really feel like God was there and he's going to, but but I want to make sure my priorities are in alignment now. As I go forward, I'm, a, I'm going to be a better hunter because God's going to be first, then my wife, then my kids, you know, then the community, you know, the brotherhood, and, and way down there is going to be business. And, and, and I think if we keep those priorities in alignment and we don't compromise, 
you know, we can still be a trophy hunter and go after big bucks and, 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 and go after those moments. But I think the, the trap that we fall into is like all performance-based lifestyles is what, what are you compromising? What and, are we propping up? Yep. Yeah, that's good, man. Because I, the, the, here's something just in, in what I've been going through. This can sneak up on you. Like, I feel like if you were to ask me three weeks ago, a month ago, like, are you good? Are your priorities good? And, and all the things you're putting your hands to, right? Um, are they noble? Are they, are they, are the, again, the priorities, family, you know, faith, family. Um, dude, it sneaks up on you. I, had a, I like had an epiphany last week. I'm like, I, I feel the, all this weight and I have all these different business things going on. And I'm like, my priorities are so out of whack and, and not even for the wrong reasons. It's not because of greed or not because of chasing a dollar. It, it was all these unhealthy reasons that I was pushing so hard and, and I got myself into these spots and I didn't even realize it. Like it can sneak up on you. Yes. And man, to sit back and kind of like think about reprioritizing my life and, and what I need to say no to, which is hard and scary and feel like you're letting people down. And there's all these codependency things that go along with like codependency I'm learning more about is so two-sided, right? Like I need you to show up for me to be this way so that I can feel good. Like yeah, with my wife, right. It looks like, um, I need you to be okay so that I can be okay. Yeah. But on the other side of it too, is like recognizing that I feel like if I don't show up for people in a certain way that they're not going to be okay. And it's, it's like, I didn't even think about it that way and how unhealthy that is. And it's, it's, it's unhealthy for me, but it's also the opposite of empowering those around you. I'm yep. like, no, you can do this. You've got this. You've got what it takes. And yeah, I don't know, man. It's been, it's been crazy, but it, it does, it does seem to sneak up on you. The striving and the, and for whatever reason, doesn't even have, like I said, doesn't even have to be about money, but but I think it's a good message that I think we all can reevaluate. Like, what am I putting my hands to? What am I putting my efforts to? And are they in line with my own core values? And if you don't have any core values, I would suggest um, start asking yourself, like, why do I, like we've talked about on the last podcast, Rob, why do we do the things we do? Where's, Where's it coming from? The decisions we make, the things that offend us, hurt us, keep us bogged down. Why? And from there, what kind of men do we want to become? What do we want to fight for? So so here's a cool parallel. Um, That codependency, I've experienced some of that in my own life. I never would have dreamed in a million years that I was codependent, but I've identified that in my own life, that I needed other people to be okay so I could be okay. No idea. Like had absolutely zero grid that that was happening. And, and, and I think you look at your life that there was a time that that 
we can understand where that came from. We needed to know that our, our parents or a stepfather, stepmother, you know, we, we judged the room by how they were doing, you know, and, and, and it was a defense mechanism and it worked for us. We needed that skill at different times of our life to be able to, to, you know, to get the temperature of the room to know how we could respond to it. We don't need that anymore, but together, you know, we, we get a, we get to learn from each other. There's things that I've learned through you about codependency that I'm like, dude, I, I, I'm going to, I'm, I'm learning from your, your challenges and, and your you know, successes and, and where you're growing and where the Lord's working with you. But here's the, here's the, the cool metaphor is just like as a hunter, the first thing we got to go do is get our zero right. We got to, you know, we got to be on target at a hundred yards or 200 yards. And that's where just to plant a little seed, I would love to get uh, Brian Bird on here, maybe the three of us to talk about what getting your zero looks like. Because throughout life as a hunter, every time you go on a hunt or if you're a soldier, you got to go on deployment, you got to recheck your zero. And you got, so and if you go into battle and you're not, and your zero's off, you could be the best shooter, you know, on the team, but you're going to matter. Suck. Yeah. It doesn't matter. That's the same thing that's going on, you know, with, with through to, you know, through this, this, this brotherhood, through this, you know, wild courage, through what we're trying to do here is that's an opportunity for guys to check their zero and, and, and for us to check our zero as well, before we go into battle. And, and, and that's where together that is how we check our zero, how we get with Holy spirit in the quiet time and, you know, let him, you know, speak to us. And so we can go into battle, you know, on target. Well, it's, it's good. And all that requires what the one word that pops to my mind that is necessary for any of that to happen is humility. Yeah. And it's something you and I've had to fight for through is this, what we like to say, watching our, our blind, having our blind spot. Like, like it's all the cliches, right? Like you got my back. Yeah, I got your back. And practically, what does that look like? And it's not what we thought. We used to think it was in a fist fight because it was. And now we find ourselves in in our middle age life of what does it look like for your brother to have your back? Well, it looks like humility. Yeah, it looks like what you and I have fought for and through of, hey, Jeremy. I see something in you that you don't even notice you're doing and me having to have the humility, which is super hard to receive what you're telling me. Yeah. Because usually it's a huge character flaw that we have that we're, that we're, that I'm, 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 I'm asking you, Hey, you got my six, right? You got my back. What I'm saying is Rob, I need you to be honest with me. Yeah. I need you to let me know my blind spot. I need you to let me know when I'm being codependent. I, I need to let you know when me know when my priorities aren't lining up. Yep. It's w- when we're, we're the forest through the trees thing, right? Like I'm running and gunning and business and I have all these big ideas and getting all these people together and trying to go conquer the marketplace and to have brothers go like, come here, where are you at? What's going on? And for, for us to have the humility to be like, didn't even recognize it. I didn't know I was, my, my zero was off. 
Cause yeah. we all know the trajectory changes, right? If your zero's off and then yep. you wake up six months later and you're a mile away in your marriage yep. from where you need to be, you're not showing up for your kiddos, right? You're not being the, the, the brother that you need to be. So this is hard stuff. This is deep waters that we're talking about, but how much has that impacted our lives? Us having the courage The Oh dude, because we've had knockdowns. I mean, it's not easy. It's easy to say at first, like this covenant, like I, you, you have permission to recognize my blind spots. Right. And like we pointed out many times too, and learning through this process, it's, it's really, it takes a lot of courage to say, Jeremy, I give you permission to speak into my life, but it takes real courage for Way you more. to say, Hey dude. So I know that, that you, you, you love your family or, you know, whatever it is, pick the topic, but I, I see this happening in your life. That's where the real courage, you know, is required as well. I mean, it's, it's More really so. hard to, to lay yourself on the line and, and take a risk that you're going to offend or hurt, you know, a brother. But that to me is the fundamental thing that iron sharpens iron. That's, that, that's where, you know, biblically we're supposed to have brothers in our lives as men that can call our shit out because we all have shit and whether we want to admit it or not, you know, we need, we need a brother to, to, to get us back on zero because if we're just doing it ourselves, it, it, it we're not going to be as fine tuned as if we, we, you know, like I want to be battle ready. I give you permission and that's hard to do. Well, you've led in that you, you led, you've always led us in, in this, in this community in vulnerability or, um, well that too, but in, 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 um, saying that like, Hey, I, I, in humility, you've always led us in humility. And I remember when it was like, okay, that's super brave. But like you said, it's real hard to then be the guy that's like, all right, you asked for it. Here it comes. And that's where you and I've had to wrestle through some yeah. extremely hard conversations that were both more the better. If, if we would have had this type of relationship um, with each other or other men in our lives, think of the heartache that would have been prevented yes. of those mountaintop experiences where you get there and you're like, seriously, I've given my life to this. And it's hollow, empty, and I've sacrificed every relationship and everything that way. should be important to me along the way. But if you had a brother, I guess what we're saying to you guys is we're encouraging you to have the courage to get with someone you trust that can watch your blind spot. But it's not just a cliche. Hey, you got my back. We're not talking about in a barroom fight. We're talking about in real life, in real time. Hey, you're making a mess, dude. And you don't even know it. I yeah. saw the way you talked to your wife or your kids at the barbecue last on Saturday. What's going on? Yep. That's courage. To it give is. and receive that is freaking hard. But man, I, I think 
it can save you a lot of heartache and wrecking some relationships and help you in your marriage to have, have, have a dude that you can have that kind of relationship with. So I guess that's what we're saying is just encouraging you guys to, to find that guy. Absolutely. So worth it. Like absolutely so worth it. Um, I mean, that's, that's been your gift you know, in so many, you know, places too, you know, Jeremy, you're, you've got that shepherding, uh, you know, where there's a lot of, a lot of people that, that, that are in your circle that you've had the ability to speak into their lives and, and, and share from your, you know, life experience. And, and, and that's where, you know, this, all of this is so amazingly powerful is, is, you know, you fought in the trench, you know, to get where you're at today. And, and you have a lot of things to give away, you know, to the people around you and, and, you know, giving permission. I mean, you've helped my life so much because mm-hmm. I gave you permission to speak into it. And some of those things that you spoke to me, you know, I didn't want to hear, but, but I needed to hear. And, and, you know, we obviously can repackage this a hundred different times, but, you know, if a, if a guy doesn't have that in his life, then I think it's a, it, it's maybe maybe it's because he's hurt, you know, other dudes have hurt him in the past or, you know, I spent a lot of time as the lone ranger. I thought, no, I'm tough enough to do this shit on my own. I don't need anybody else, but it's wrong. I mean, that's when we're in isolation, we're an easy target. And, and I, you know, I found my biggest battles when I was trying to hide, you know, from, from, you know, close connection with others. And so I fought hard now to, to go against that. And, and I would encourage other guys that if you don't have somebody in your life, it doesn't mean you're not going to have somebody, you know, you got to go after it a little bit and, well, and you, yeah. you got to put yourself in places where there's other that's dudes right. with like-minded, you know, mindsets. And, and that's where like, you know, these shooting classes, these events, you know, there's men's events all over the country. You know, a lot of dudes are going after it. Jason Ballatin, Brave Co. I mean, we talk about, you know, the, the different motorcycle gangs of this greater movement that God's doing that we're all a part of, you know, going after the heart of men, uh, you know, riding high ministries, Todd Pierce. I mean, you know, there's just wild at heart. Those guys are organized and all over the world, man. Yep. If, if you Snyder and, and John Eldridge, if you find yourself not having a guy, I, I would say get on any of those websites. I know Jason's just getting his rolling and trying to do that. And, uh, but man, wild at heart. I mean, they're organized and they meet, they have cells all over the place. Um, wild courage. That's part of our goal is to get fire started all over the place of, of guys getting around and just having, having this community and having it because man, I don't know where I'd be in my marriage or being in, in my journey as a father without you guys, you know? And so my, my heart is for guys to find community and not to be alone in life with because of the isolation and whatever you're battling against. Right. It's you, we're not, we're not built to do it alone. And we think we are, and it it doesn't end up anywhere good. Um, So I, I guess what we've learned and to kind of wrap up uh, this time together with you, Rob is, is it takes vulnerability, takes courage to be vulnerable with another guy, but it also, what it really takes is humility, 
of saying, I don't have it figured out. I don't know what I'm doing and it's okay. And I'm going to ask this guy that I trust um, to watch my back in a way that I've never looked at it before in a, in a real way of like, I'm going to humble myself enough to you to let me know when I'm screwing up. When, when you see my drinking out of control or if you see addictive behaviors or, um, or whatever it may, may be is to let somebody in that process with you and, and, and to go after it. But man, I just, I, I honestly don't know where I would be without, without you in my life and the guys that I've surrounded myself with and Brian and doc. And I mean, the list goes on and on, but, um, it's powerful. It's important. And there's fruit, there's fruit in, in your marriage and my marriage and with our kids and, and honestly, and in, in business too, like in every area of life, it, 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 this flows from. So I just encourage you guys to think about some of these things and, and go after it. So good. Absolutely. But yeah, Rob, thanks so much for telling us the story of Magnum. I just, I know guys are going to love that story because it's so amazing. And, and again, once in a lifetime kind of uh, buck and that, and that, and that's, he's on our logo. He's, he represents um, everything that you shared in that story and more. Um, and it's an honor that you would let us use him, you know, for, for wild courage and what we're trying to build together with that. And so again, just thanks for your time. I mean, you're, you're in the, you're, you're, when does your first hunt start? Uh, in about a week. Um, I mean, we're, we're all, you know, we've got guides sure. coming in and learning new territory. We've done some scouting, you know, we're, we're trying to get guys, you know, familiar with where these animals are, but yeah, it's, it's go time. Um, we'll be, uh, yeah, we'll be in the battle, uh, till the, the last week of October. Um, and at the end of that, we're, we're usually spent, um, and ready you know, for retreat. Yeah. Ready for, yeah. Well, there's been, there's been some years, like one year, my mom asked me, she's like, are you okay? <laughs> I wasn't, but I said, yeah, I'm okay. I just, you don't understand what we give, you know, to, to put this all together and it, and it's hard. I mean, it really is. It's a, it's a, it, it's a battle, but well, I, I, I'm just talking to Courtney and Jacob and your team and like, Oh yeah, we get up at two o'clock in the morning, and sometimes we don't get home till back to camp till eleven at night, midnight. Like literally, yeah. you're you're running on on no sleep. And um, I just wanted to touch base with kind of where you're at because I'd love to get you back on here in like love end of, in November or first part of December and just kind of summarize uh, your your hunting season and and what you learned in it because I know you're always looking for opportunities to grow um as a human being and in your walk with god and and what he's presenting to you and in in the lives that you're getting to steward in in this environment in which you thrive in um it's always fascinating to me so um we'll just consider this uh part one of two and we'll check back with you at the end of hunting season once you've went to lava and soaked your bones for a week at the yeah. hot springs and with, with Brenda and, but thanks so much, Rob. I know this is just such a crazy busy time for you. And, and, uh, we just, I'm super excited to 
see what this year is going to produce for you guys. And we'll get you back on here in a couple months. Have a great hunting season, man. Yeah, you bet. Well, anytime. I mean, seriously, dude, uh, what's going on here? You know, uh, maybe I'll find some time in the middle of hunting season. Dude, that would be epic to get a peekaboo into what's going on. Wow. This is real. I mean, this to me, you know, this is, this is super important. Um, I feel like, you know, I've got marching orders from God to, you know, to, to tell my story and to trust him in, in, you know, letting it out there. And if I can, you know, if there's a way that, you know, my struggle can help somebody else, um, I'm in dude. And I just want to thank you for having the courage to do this podcast and, and finding the men, the caliber of men that you've been, you know, getting on this podcast. I mean, their stories have just, you know, every single one of them have impacted me. Um, I listen to them all the time and, and just, you know, thank you, dude. Uh, you're showing up, uh, you're, you're in the fight and, and you're going after it and just love what this is becoming. Thanks, bro. Love you, man. All right. Love you too. Talk to you soon. All right. Adios. Adios.